Good morning. My name's Steve. I'm on the team here and I'm speaking today. If you haven't got your outline notes, the stewards are walking around now, the Connect team, just raise your hand and they will get some of these notes to you. Today's talk is entitled, I will dot, 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 and it'll become clear as we go through. So raise your hands, those of you who haven't got them. I was recently watching a new comedy uh, TV program that's been around for about six, seven weeks now, entitled, Insert Name Here. Anybody seen it? <laughs> Me and Pete Goodliffe. So obviously high viewing numbers for this program. Insert name here. It's hosted by Sue Perkins. She's the one of the duo that is involved in the Great British Bake Off. There we go. That's more popular slightly. Uh, Richard Osmond, who's from the city here. He's on one member of the one panel. And then the guy called Josh, don't know the rest of his name, on the other side. And they talk about names. Insert name here. Basically, they take a name... And then they look at that name in history, they have questions about it, could be any name. And the one I was watching, the week I was watching, it was about anyone with the name Chris. So they had Christine as well as Chris, or Father Christmas then came up, Chris Dingle, or anything related to Chris. Mentioned all kinds of Chris's. But the one they particularly mentioned which caught my attention was when they talked about Chris Agabusi. Know him? Chris Agabusi was a, an athlete, a, a number of gold medals, but now he's a, a, a motivational speaker. He goes around motivating spe people with his uh, talks. And one of the panel members, I don't know who it was, but one of the panel members said this, Oh, I heard Chris Agabusi speaking on, Without vision, people perish. And the panel all went, Ooh. There was this kind of response, ooh. And it made me realize, in case you don't know, that is a Bible verse. Without vision, people perish. And often what can be common truth to us in a Christian kind of context, in other kind of settings, is seen as rare wisdom. And they thought this was great wisdom. Without vision, people perish. And it's a well-known, well-quoted verse in many churches. And I don't want it to be so common to us that we fail to lose the reality and the root of that verse. This is what it says in the Amplified Version. It says, Where there is no vision, that is no revelation of God and His Word, the people are unrestrained. But happy and blessed is he who keeps the law of God. Come to that verse there by the Amplified, there's something that restrains you if you see something of the vision that God gives. Without it, we just run around and we're unrestrained. But with this vision, with this revelation of God and His Word, it stops you doing some things and causes you to do other things. So we shouldn't just be busy, we should be busy about the right things. It goes on to say in the message, paraphrase, don't get your theology from the message, but always good to go to it and look at it and see what it says. If people can't see what God is doing, they stumble all over themselves, and when they attend to what he reveals, they are most blessed. You and I in our lives will be most blessed when we attend to what he reveals. According to this Proverbs, if people can't see what God is doing, 
They fall all over themselves. Now, seeing what God is doing in a word is vision. And in this church, if you've been around a while, if you haven't been around a while, you should hear us talk an awful lot about our vision. It restrains us, it constrains us, but it also motivates us. And the danger is, if we're not clear on our vision, we can fall more in love with what we do and how we do things than the purpose behind it all as to the why we do it. If you remember, any of you that were around earlier in the year, I always, someone said to me, it's always concentric circles with you. It's the only thing I know, the only thing I can draw. We looked at how every church, every organization, and a head teacher came to me after the first celebration today and said, I'm going to use that. That's going to really help me in work. So you can have this. Every organization must know what it's about, what it's doing. They also need to know the strategy, how they do it. But at the very core of all they do, they must know, why do I do it? Because otherwise, the what and the how become bigger than the why. And you fall in love with those things. And when it's time to change something, because the why, the vision, isn't being achieved, you say, but this is how we've always done it. So you get churches up and down the land. This doesn't happen here, I know. But the organist has always been the organist. They've only ever worshipped with an organ. What? Drums, guitars, add other things. But this is the way we do things. But maybe you've lost sight of the why. And the why is to enable us to worship God is more important than the how and the what. And so we fall in love sometimes with those things. These last few years... I've been, uh, I've been led astray in my coffee habits. Instant coffee was fine for my mum and dad. But no, not my children. And now, and I'm ashamed to say it, but I'm publicly confessing, I've got to the point where I have been so educated on artisan coffee I can't drink instant anymore. So if you invite me to your house, I'll have a cup of tea. Unless you've got proper coffee. My mum and dad, they never drank a latte in their lives. They did have a milky coffee on Saturday afternoons. That was the kind of treat. Should we have a milky coffee? It's latte, by the way. And that was the thrill of us. This is, how, this is how on the edge we lived in our house. On a Saturday afternoon, just before the A-team, we had our milky coffee <laughs> with sugar in. <laughs> my palate has now been educated. My habits have changed. I like proper coffee. I was thinking about this when I walked into Starbucks, or I came to my mind when I walked into Starbucks recently. Starbucks are one of the front runners of these proliferation of, of artisan coffee shops and this, this kind of coffee culture uh, that's permeated 21st century living in the UK anyway. And I thought about this. What they do is sell coffee. True? How they do it is in neighborhoods all over the place. There's lots in Cambridge. You find artisan coffee shops where they are seeking to create this third space. So you have your home, you have your work, and then you have your coffee shop area. So how they do it, their strategy, is these premises all over the place. 
But then I asked myself, and this is what struck me when I walked into one recently, why do they do it? Now, the answer some of you might immediately think is make money and avoid tax. You might think that's the, the purpose of Starbucks. That would be the cynical people amongst us. Here is why they say, and if you read uh, Howard Schultz's book onwards, he talks about this. This is their mission statement. And you never thought it, but in your outline notes, tell us about this in church, the missing blank is the word Starbucks. This is what they describe their purpose, their mission. To inspire and nurture the human spirit. <laughs> Did you get that? To inspire and nurture the human spirit. And it goes on to say, one person, one cup, and one neighborhood at a time. That is their why. So if you're a barista and you're trained to serve coffee, you're not just trying to get money out of the people. You are inspiring the human spirit by serving a coffee, by cleaning with the milk thing afterwards with the dish that you're supposed to do, like the nozzle. I've never been a barista. You're not just cleaning a nozzle. You're there to inspire the human spirit. And that's why they exist. Now, let's just get this right. They're selling coffee. They are, how can they really inspire? But I like their laudable goal. But we, as the church, we need to know not only what we do, how we do it, but why we do it. And I think they've stolen a really good statement that could be used by the church to inspire the human spirit. One person... We won't put the cup in there. One neighborhood at a time to make a difference. The vision keeps the why before us. Can I just say this to us? Never ever say that you, if you're on team, are just, it's a very Christian word. We use it in our prayers and all kinds. Just, just, just. I just want to say, Lord, just, just, just. Try and, try and get rid of just if you can. But don't ever say, I'm just a car park attendant. No, you're not. You've got a much bigger purpose in being in that car park than being a car park attendant. Don't say, I'm just serving coffee. No, no, you're inspiring the human spirit. We'll talk some more about this as we go through. Don't just say, I'm, I'm, I'm just, I said just. Don't say, I'm just a musician. No, you're not. You're leading us to the glory of God. Keep the why before us. The Apostle Paul, I put this in your notes, he said that um, our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. He's saying he's going through some tough stuff, but it far outweighs. There's a much bigger purpose. There's a why behind what he's going through that will keep him going through the toughest of times. And by the way, if you go to 2 Corinthians 11, he lists his light and momentary troubles. See what he says there? He says, our light and momentary troubles. Here's his light and momentary troubles. Five times, he writes, I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. That's Yoda speak for 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. 
Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a day and a night in the open sea. I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles. There's only two groups of people. He's in danger everywhere he goes. In danger in the city. Well, go to the country and get some respite. No, I've been in danger in the country. I've been in danger at sea, and there's been danger from false believers. I have labored and toiled, and I've often gone without sleep. I've known hunger and thirst, and I've gone without food. I've been cold and naked besides everything else I face daily the pressures of my concern for all the churches these are his light and momentary troubles what are yours what are yours I want to say this in love everyone look at me and say we love you Steve that wasn't many of you to say you love me I don't feel loved right now we moan about some of the discomforts and things we have to go through. And I'm not belittling some big stuff that people are going through. But in reality, we go through some stuff, but if we keep the why before us, it keeps us motivated. It kept Paul going, even though he was getting beaten and shipwrecked a day and a night in water. And we complain we're a little bit cold. Because <laughs> the why was before him at all times. Keep the why before you. Now let's be clear, this vision, this why we do what we do, it doesn't happen just by blue sky thinking as, as people describe it. It, it's, it doesn't just come by imagination, it comes by revelation. Remember what we read? Where there is no vision, there is no revelation of God, the people are unrestrained. But if we can't see what God is doing, Vision only ever comes by revelation, a ha-ha moment. And there is something that comes even before revelation. Do you know what it is? Relationship. It's out of a relationship of knowing God. That's what this uh, proverb says. As we know God and his will and his word, he gives us revelation. My wife and I have been married for 31 years in the next few weeks. Well, July, months even, my wife says on the front row. 31 years, July the 20th. See, I do know. My wife knows more about me than anyone else in this room. She knows what really gets to me. She knows when I'm tired, when I'm pretending not to be. She knows what I enjoy, and she could tell you some stuff about me and things that I've said and done that none of you know, and you're never going to know. And I should give her a lot of money that's going to pay for the other floor that so we can finish in here, maybe for that one. But what she knows about me is from relationship, and revelation only flows from relationship. And I just want to say this to you, and anyone who's listening, and praise God this is being recorded so as it can go on the internet for the millions to hear, or at least my mum. When it comes to what we're about as a church, yes, we have our vision of reaching and shaping generation of the cause of Christ, but it starts with people having a relationship with God. We want you to know God. We want you 
to be a child of the Most High God. We want you to enjoy relationship with Him above anything and everything else. Everything else flows from this. We want you to know Him because that's what salvation is. It's not about a list of do's and don'ts. It's about knowing the one the Father sends. His name is Jesus. And through Jesus, you can know the Father. And the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit will help you in life's long, give you a future an eternal future, but it's all about a relationship. Are you with me? We want you to know God. Connect to Jesus. And when you connect to Jesus, thank God his vision for us is not unclear. It's crystal clear. I'm going to read it to you. This is in Matthew chapter 18. Jesus has come to Caesarea Philippi with his disciples and they're having the conversation who, who's, who do everyone say I am? What, what's the conversations going around? And the answer was, some say you're John the Baptist. Others say you're Elijah. Still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But then Jesus says this to Peter. What about you? Who do you say I am? This is Simon Peter's answered. You are the Messiah, the son of the living God. You are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. I tell you, Peter, Rocky, on this rock, on what rock? The rock of revelation of who I am, I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome. By the way, whenever we read that verse, we always think about the gates of Hades. That speaks of authority attacking the church. But the way it's written is not about the, the gates of hell attacking the church, but rather it's the church that's advancing and the gates of hell are there and they can't overcome us. It's not about standing back and saying, oh, we're scared. No, it's about us advancing. And he says, this is Jesus' vision. I will build my church. Jesus is clear of his vision. And his vision is very, very clear in regards to what the foundation of it is. And the foundation of it is a person. Him. He's basically saying to Peter, you know what? The vision is about building a church. We'll say more about that in a minute. Based on the revelation of who I am. It's about building on Jesus. We only have one foundation. His name is? That's what we build on. The revelation that Jesus is the Messiah. All our initiatives must fall some way, in some shape or form, into this vision of, I will build my church. Did you hear that? All our initiatives. We are not building a social services department. We're building a church. We're not building a youth club. We're building a church. Uh, did I hear an amen in the house? Come on. We're not just doing all that stuff. You say it was ulterior motive. Absolutely. It's to build the church of Jesus Christ. Because it's not social services and it's not youth clubs as the hope of the world. It's the church of Jesus Christ. Why? Because we've been entrusted with this gospel, this good news that says you can have a relationship with God. Hmm. Three Bricklayers were approached by a guy who was built, they were all building together. And the guy came to the first one and says, he said to the first bricklayer, what are you doing? And the bricklayer looked back and sarcastically says, what's it look like I'm doing? I'm laying bricks. And the second guy 
man went up to him and says, what, what are you doing? And he said, can't you see what I'm doing? I'm building a wall. And the guy, third bricklayer, was asked, what, what, what are you doing? And he exclaimed, I am building a great cathedral for the glory of God. Who do you think had the best work and was the hardest work? What vision enables us to do is realize the value of our part to play in this building of church. And I might be up here right now waxing lyrical on the mouthpiece, but we are so aware we are in this together. And we're all different bricks and different stones. So I say to you again, never say just. You are involved in a divine purpose. In a few weeks' time, we've got a speaker coming here, April 23rd. Not on the Sunday, on the Saturday. We asked him to stay for the Sunday. He's not staying. He leads a church in the United States. I can't remember how large they are, but he's a, 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 an academic and a pastor, an unusual combination in many ways. He was once the principal of a Bible college, a seminary. He has um, done a lot of research into reaching what is a huge demographic in the UK and the US now. That's those who call themselves, or the surveys call them, the nuns. They have no religious affiliation at all. Some say never have, or if they had, they've moved away from. And he's done extensive research into reaching the, the nuns. How do we reach them for, for the gospel? And he went to one guy when he was a seminary um, professor, and he was trying to raise money. And this guy was a businessman, and he went to this businessman, and the businessman just kept saying of all the great things his business was doing, in going out on mission, in having great Bible studies in the business place, in going overseas, in giving money, and he kept saying how great the business was doing, and then he kept moaning about the church, and how unreliable, and inconsistent, and lack of excellence, all these kind of things that he kept saying about the local church. And then he said this, as he went on, I'll read this part to you. In the midst of one of his personal asides about the sorry state of the church, as compared to his pristine missional nature of his business, he maintained that that was his reason that he wasn't involved in a local church. Every one of you, I'm going to guess, knows someone who isn't involved in a local church. And they'll give you all kinds of excuses and reasons. And I'm going to tell you this. You cannot be a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ without being part of a local church. You can be a believer. I didn't say you were going to hell. Smile at me. Keep smiling. You can still be a believer and a Christian, but you can't be a fully devoted follower of Jesus without being part of the local church because that's the way Jesus organized it. And then the businessman said this. And after all, he added, where the church too. Now I want you to lean in and listen to the rest of this quote. It's a little bit technical. I'm going to read it a little bit quickly, but I want you to hear what James Emery White, who'll be with us in a few weeks, said. He said, everything within me wanted to leap from my seat and shout, enough! No, you are not the church. A company, a business, is not the body of Christ instituted as the hope of the world by Jesus himself. A company, a business, uh, is not the body of Christ chronicled breathtakingly by Luke through the Acts of the Apostles and shaped in thinking and practice by the Apostle Paul through letter after letter now captured in the New Testament to the Epistles. 
A marketplace venture that offers itself on the New York Stock Exchange is not that entity that is so expansive with energy that not even the gates of hell can withstand its onslaught. An assembly of employees in cubicles working for end-of-year stock options and bonuses is not the gathering of saints bristling with the power of spiritual gifts as you are mobilized to provide justice for the oppressed, service to the widow and orphan, and compassion for the poor. He goes on to say, this movement that had one of its early fathers, Cyprian, maintained that you cannot have God as your father unless you have the church as your mother. Everyone say, ooh. What does that mean? It means you, the purpose of God is all wrapped up in the church. And we are still believers, and we still are the church scattered, but the essence of church is that the church must gather and be connected, not disparate. There's a guy called Andy Stanley, who I'd, if you're ever going to listen to any preachers, go on the line, on the line, online, on the internet, and listen, check out Andy Stanley. And he talks about in history, and you can find this in all different cultures, Back in history, in Rome, in Israel, in Egypt, in, in, in different places, in, in Greece, you find that there are these four elements that are often about religions. They have sacred places. Then they have sacred texts. And then there are usually sacred men, and it's usually always men who have these explanations of the sacred texts. texts. And then... As a consequence of this teaching, there are those that are sincere followers. He calls that, I put this in your, your outline notes, the temple model. That was there in the Old Testament. It's there in history. It's there in societies today. If you go to part, I've had a conversation with some of you in this room about this. If you go to parts of Africa today, you will find witch doctors who have their sacred places with sacred texts, with sacred men, always men, and sincere followers who they control by fear. In Syria and other parts of the Middle East, there are those who are sincere followers who are doing unimaginable things to fellow human beings because sacred men have said this is what the sacred texts teach them. And let's be honest, the church has done this for centuries. The church still does this. It's still very tempting to fall into this because this is the easy, nice, package controlled way. But Jesus came and changed everything. And there's three things that I just want to finish this off today by saying that he changed that have to do with our vision that we must embrace so as that we don't continue this temple model which was pointing always towards something better. Jesus made this statement, I will build my church. The Greek word there is ecclesia. There are those that have interpreted the writings of the Bible and looked at that word and said we didn't, that when they, the first translations didn't want the word church to be put in there because there were connotations of what church meant. It's from a, a German word, and, uh, and it was put then into English. And, and some of them said, no, we mustn't have the word church in there. Let's use the word congregation. Because congregation spoke of people, whereas church, in their minds, spoke of buildings. 
And I just want to make this clear in this new movement that we're in. It was never meant to be about sacred places. It was always meant to be about sacred people. And whatever building you walk into, and we went to the, um, I just say, Sagred Familia recently in, in Barcelona. Beautiful. I, I sensed through the stained glass window and lights the presence of God. I did. But that building is not as sacred as the person that's sitting next to you if they're a believer and follower of Jesus Christ. Because the New Testament reveals that you, Janet Stridham, are the temple of the Holy Spirit. That we, together, are God's temple. Turn the person next to you and say, you are a temple. But bag them on the arm and say, you're a brick. You are a living stone. That's the way it works. You are individually and you are corporately. The New Testament reveals both. That individually I'm the temple, but together we're the temple. And we are the dwelling place of God. He will tabernacle, that means dwell, amongst us. And so his promise is, I will build my church. It's not about sacred places. It's totally about sacred people. Remember the woman at the well, and you know that story, where Jesus comes alongside, shouldn't be talking to a woman in the daytime at the well, but he spoke to her. And she tries to get the, the conversation onto worship. Always been issues with worship. And she says, should we worship on this mountain? Or should we worship where you Jews say we should worship? In Jerusalem, because that's holy. Ah, we say here is holy. You say there is holy. Which is the sacred? And he says, you're missing it. This is the Steve Campbell paraphrased version now. He says, you're missing it. It's not about where. Worship isn't about where. You can worship anywhere. It's about who and how. And the who is the Father and the how is in spirit and truth. And he enables us to worship. So it's not about sacred buildings. It's about sacred places. It's not, it's not about sacred buildings or sacred places. It's about sacred people. When we spend money, we must always be thinking in our vision, how does it affect people? Because I, I hope you know all that we are about is, yes, building the church on the foundation of Jesus, but the, the church is the people of God. I'll let you into a secret. I'm a little bit frustrated. They're in that, just lean in, don't tell anyone else. In that coffee shop, there are speakers that we haven't yet installed because we haven't got the money. And you think, why do we need speakers? Because there's people there who need to hear. They need to hear the announcement, the service is about to start. And then they come in. And they don't just hear this noise as, as, as a Welsh voice, which is Andrew Harris, who makes the announcement and it goes everywhere else. It goes in the toilet. It's a bit scary when you hear Andrew Harris's voice saying, the service is about to begin, the service is about to begin, boyo, in the, in the, in the auditorium now. But if you're in the coffee shop, you can't hear, you just hear this. Because those speakers, we couldn't afford, but those speakers are not because we like speakers. Those speakers are so as people can hear. A lady came to me last week who's deaf, Somebody in the room here now. She said, I love this church. I can hear everything. I said, oh, there's a hearing loop as well. You know, we, we paid for that to be in. Oh, I don't use that. I can hear it through these. <laughs> but Pat Handy down here is sitting there. She can hear everything I say now because she's sitting and there's a hearing loop. You know why we put a hearing loop in? The people. Because people really matter. And we're all about people. And we're all about building church. But it comes back to, we want to spend money for people. We want to do the other rooms, don't we? 
That's seven of us that have got to give about 400,000 pounds then. We, we, we want to do the other rooms, not because we want more rooms. The more rooms are for more people. More people. Give us more people, Lord, so as more people can know Jesus because it's all about Jesus and it's all about people. Which really comes down to the next point that I want to make. Not only is there a new movement of the church, but there's a new ethic, there's a new command that's at the very center of this community called the ecclesia, the congregation, the church. And this new command, Jesus said, is this, love. Love. God help us to love. If you want to know how to increase your capacity to love, can I just suggest, come to the Friday lunch. Just take a day, lunch time off work. Come and sit next to some of those people who have, like Jesus said, harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And feel if your love doesn't grow for them. I, I have to really work hard to lock myself away in my office to pray and prepare for this. Because when I get with people, I just want to love them. Don't you? Oh, no. People. People. Hallmark by love. And this is the new command that Jesus gave. A new command I give you. Love one another as I have loved you. That was said in the context of Jesus washing the disciples' feet. At the end of this service, I want to wash someone, someone's feet. I don't know who. I, I, I asked God to show me in, in the first, and someone was revealed to me. And someone will be in a minute, I'm sure. But Jesus took the towel... He wrapped it around himself. He took his outer garments off, it says, and he washed their feet. And then a few sentences later, he says to them, love one another as I have loved you. It's very obvious. The how was by serving them. They reclined at the Passover meal. They would recline. Their feet would be further back. He took off his garments, went round, and washed their feet. And they knew that's a menial task. That's a task that the master shouldn't be doing. But he did. And there is nothing beneath us because we're here. If, if ever you hear me getting above myself, saying that I'm any more sacred than anybody else, then please thump me in Jesus' name. Now, if I thump you back, forgive me, I'm not yet perfect. But let's just, let's just make sure that we keep one another accountable. Serving means doing something. Finally, this. There's a new movement, the church. There's a new ethic or a command, love. Just before the cross... Jesus takes the Passover meal, the most sacred meal that the Israelites had, that the nation of Israel had, was Passover. This was celebrating their deliverance. This was sacred man. And Jesus, who's messed with all their thinking on loads of things, now takes the first cup, takes the second cup, because there's four cups involved in Passover, and he gets to this third one, and instead of carrying it on as he normally did, he took the bread and he said, this bread is the new covenant. This blood, this cup 
is the new covenant in my blood. And they're sitting there saying, surely, this is Passover. Don't you mess with our Passover meal. And Jesus messes with it and says, no, no longer do this in remembrance of Passover. Do this in remembrance of me. For I'm giving you a new covenant. And he messes up their thinking. And they're thinking, hold on, Passover was about salvation. You haven't saved anyone. And he says, not yet. You haven't got it yet. But it's coming. It's coming. Andy Stanley, in talking about this new covenant, when it was given in the context of Passover and the new meal, says this would be like Billy Graham taking the bread and saying, as he's dying, uh, I'm I'm dying, but I want you to remember me. Or it might be like if he said to them, at at Christmas, don't call it Christmas anymore, call it Billymas in remembrance of me. It sounds wrong, doesn't it? Or or he suggests it would be like Pope Francis, who everybody loves except Donald Trump, and and, it would be like Pope Francis saying, I'm just about to die. But instead of having Easter from now on, don't remember Jesus, remember me. Let's call it Freester. Everyone looks at, but, it's not, but you haven't saved anyone. And that's what Jesus does with the Passover. He breaks their concept. He breaks their thinking. And he says, no, it's not about, don't forget the Passover because we're related. But now it's a new covenant that's established in my blood through my body. I will build my church. The vision will be outworked through a new movement of people who will live by a new ethic and follow a new covenant. Now, let me really break this down. This is my practical, and we're going to finish here. What does that mean? What, what can I do in C3 to live that out? What about your devotion to this new movement? What's your devotion like right now to the church? Oh, by the way, I'm not just talking about meetings. I'm talking about people. But let's remember that Ecclesia has within it congregations. So gathering is important. I know, 21st century life, busy. We're never going to get people out every Sunday. I'm not asking for that. But I am asking for devotion. Are you devoted? Are you devoted to the local church? Because although it's more than meetings, it's not less than. Because it's Ecclesia. Get devoted. How does the Holy Spirit want to apply this to help you be devoted? At the end of this service, at 1.30, we're holding our discovery track. Our discovery track is to help you discover the vision of the church and where you can play your part. We're going to be doing it continuously for a while. We're looking at it. We'll get it right. We'll reshape it. We'll experiment. Today, we're going to talk about values, the values that we hold to as a church. How can you commit more? Because if you just stay on the edge and look in, you won't become all you're meant to become. What about a connect group? Connect groups are small groups all over the region and we're going to go further and further apart or wide. Why? Because it's okay to drive into this central gathering, but your connect group may become a life joint to you that's so important. We're going to start a new series next 
April, at the beginning of April called Breathing Room. Why not connect to a connect group just for one month? See if you like the people, see if they like you. If you don't like them and they don't like you, find somewhere else. You'll find someone that likes you and somewhere where you can settle. Just look around. I know, we know our systems for connecting people to connect groups can improve. But don't you dare use that as an excuse for you getting off your blessed assurance and doing something in order to connect. Because you can blame everyone else. And all, but if you want to devote yourself, you can do. Get involved. Maybe it's just changing the language about the way you talk about the church. Don't, don't pull her down. Bigger up. Bigger up. How are you doing in your expression of love? Can I just say this? To express love, you must wash someone's feet somewhere. I'm talking metaphorically. To express love, you have to serve. You have to wash someone's feet. The two go together. As I have loved you. Whose feet are you washing? How are you washing? How are you connecting to serve the body of Christ and the wider community? Jesus' gift wasn't feet washing, but he did it anyway. He did it anyway. Again, Discovery Track, we try and help people to find what their gifts are. We've got a 5.30 service coming up, May the 8th, after Andrew White on April 17th. With May the 8th will be going every Sunday night. Uh, we, we are praying God for a miracle, but we can't demand a miracle. So we don't know that we'll grow bang straight away, but we'll do what we have to do faithfully every week in order to grow steady, steady, steady. We might need, in fact we do, we need many of you to commit to at least two services on a Sunday. I'm asking big, but we're in a big task. I'm not a bricklayer, I'm building a great cathedral for God. So can you connect to maybe two services on a Sunday? Not forever, but for one year that you might serve in one area. And by the grace of God, may the congregation then grow and develop and then we can readjust and look back and, and release people. But maybe your stamina will have grown anyway. 5.30 service. What about your commitment to this new covenant living? Musicians, if you would come, please. Taking communion, serving in an area, doesn't earn you any brownie points with Jesus at all. It grows you. It means that you're expressing your love. Doing all of those things is not how you get to God. You get to God through Jesus. And so I'm asking, what's your commitment to the, can we let go of some of our legalisms where we think we're going to earn favor? Jesus loves you and he wants to know you. As we finish, in your packs, there's a connect card. Can you just give me a connect card? I'm going to ask you to do two things. Maybe you need to become a believer today and give your life to Jesus. Then there's a box on there that says, today I became a Christian. You can tick that. and just It's a simple prayer. Lord, I believe. And then we'd love to counsel and help with you. Fill that in. Give us your details. Someone will be in touch. Maybe today, though, the Holy Spirit has spoken to you and you know you need to get more involved in this new movement. Stop playing around. You know your love ethic needs to go up and you need to serve somewhere. You know your commitment to this new kind of covenant needs to embrace every part of your life. 
then the, whatever the Holy Spirit speaks to you, maybe write it down by way of a commitment. We don't need your details. Unless you're saying, I want to devote go to it to a discovery class or I want to serve in some area can you contact me then fill that card in and give us your details and I'm going to ask that as we finish with this last song that you take this card and you come out there's a table at the side there's a table here there's a table there and there's a table at that side and you just put it in one of these boxes and at the same time you serve yourself with the bread and the wine because you're remembering as we put it in there and these are all the things I'm going to do but it's still let's never lose this it's all about Jesus it's all about his body and his blood that was shed for you we're going to sing this song we're going to give you time to write you don't wait for somebody else you can do it straight away you can wait pause a few minutes and then go as they know one will serve you serve yourself the bread and the wine and let's remember Jesus